Well, good morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you need a Bible this morning, you can raise your hand and Usher will bring you a free Bible so you can have a copy of the Scriptures to look off of. Just leave your hand up and they'll bring you one in just a moment. We're in a little break from Galatians and we're going to be back next week. Uh, This morning, we wanted to talk about the topic of spiritual gifts. As you came in this morning, you should have received uh, a booklet with different ministry teams at CCK along with a sign-up card. Uh, At the end of the meeting this morning, along with hot, wintry beverages in the lobby, we're going to have all kinds of tables set out with different ministry teams, as as well as a table with our deacons at it who... You can ask them all kinds of questions about how to serve in the church. This morning, we want to encourage what God is doing by His Spirit in the body of Christ at Cornerstone. And 1 Corinthians 12 is going to help us see what God is up to. So look at 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 4. We're going to read down to verse 11. This is what God's Word says to us this morning. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. This is God's holy and inerrant word for us today. And it appears that Paul wants to give the Corinthians an appreciation for the diversity of gifts that God gives His church. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities and works, each one having a different gift empowered by one and the same Spirit. Jesus, before His death, resurrection, and ascension, spent a lot of time preparing His disciples for His departure. He told them multiple times, if you read through the Gospels, He told them multiple times that He would suffer, that He would be rejected, that He would be killed. He also told them that after three days, He would rise, and He began to prepare them for what life would look like when He was gone. And I have to imagine the disciples 
as Jesus is telling them, I'm going to leave you. I'm going away. They're going to reject me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise. But I'm going to leave again. I'm sure his disciples were afraid. They were concerned. I'm sure the thought of Jesus leaving them was terrifying for them. He was their leader, their Savior, their Messiah. They left everything to follow Him. How could He leave them? And as they thought of not being with Jesus, sorrow filled their hearts. And Jesus prepared them by telling them, He said to them, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave. This is what's going to happen, but I'm going to send someone to you, a helper, he called them. He told them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to come to you through this helper. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send someone, and with him is going to come my presence. And he told them, don't be afraid, because this helper is going to be with you, and he's going to teach you. And then Jesus made this statement to them. He says, it's going to be better if I leave so that this helper can come to you. And I'm sure the disciples didn't quite understand what that meant. And we, of course, I'm sure you're aware, Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit. One of the last things Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to the Father was he said, wait. They were with him in Jerusalem. They were gathered with him, and he was the resurrected Christ. And he said, wait, what, wait right now in this place for the power of the Spirit that's going to come. And within just a few weeks, that's exactly what happened at Pentecost. The Spirit came in power. And we see this power in the disciples. We see this boldness and evangelism and generosity and prophecy. We see a love for the Word and prayer and fellowship. We see the church born and the Gospel going forth and churches being planted. And this continues on for many years and one of those churches that was planted because of the power of the Spirit was the church at Corinth. And they received the Holy Spirit as well. All of Jesus' promises are coming true. Now fast forward 10 years to when Paul is writing this letter to them. And we see what we find in Corinth is quite different than what Jesus pictured when he prepared his disciples. We're finding divisions and jealousy, immorality, and what our text is addressing, a misunderstanding of spiritual gifts. The power of the Spirit did come to them, and it appears like there were some in the church who were using spiritual gifts as self-promotion, and they were competing with each other to see who was the most spiritual. And they began to elevate some of the gifts and say, well, this is the real manifestation of the Spirit. If you have this gift, if you did this, and when... And as we read 1 Corinthians, we find their meeting in Corinth is filled with people yelling over one another and competing with one another and trying to display how gifted they are. And these divisions and factions begin to form in the church. The Corinthians, while zealous for the spirit and spiritual gifts, seem to lack an appreciation for all the ways 
God's Spirit manifests Himself all around us, just as Jesus promised He would. And so Paul, in our text, is wanting to expand their vision. He doesn't want to quench their zeal. He wants to expand it. He wants them to look around the room and to be amazed at all the diverse ways God's Spirit is working among them. I think the point of our text is God gives a diversity of spiritual gifts for the health of His church. And the claim on us, every text has a claim. Here's the claim on us this morning as we read this text. God has empowered you with spiritual gifts for the health of this church. This has continued for thousands of years. God's Spirit planting churches, growing churches, filling His disciples with His Helper to empower you for the health of this church. We're going to see two points from our text this morning, both highlighting the diverse array of gifts God has given His church and how to use them. So number one, a theme this morning we've seen already, diversity within unity. Look back at verses 4-6, through six, and you will quickly see a repetition. Paul, throughout this chapter, creates a repetition that revolves around two ideas, diversity and unity. Different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. And so he says this back and forth, back and forth, right? Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. There are differences. We're all not alike. We're different. We're gifted differently. And then on the flip side, he keeps going back to this unity we have. It's the same Spirit. It's the same Lord. It's the same God. Varieties of gifts, same Spirit. Varieties of service, same Lord. Varieties of activities, it's the same God. As Christians, this is the unity we have. We have the same Spirit. We're born again by the Holy Spirit. We're made new creations. We're given new hearts. We're called as a church to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We have the same Lord, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, lived for our righteousness, rose again for our justification. We're all covered in the blood of Christ. We have the same God this morning, the same Father who provides for us and cares for us, who gave His own Son and graciously gave us all things. You see, Paul is highlighting the triune God and the unity that we have in Him. And he's telling them there is a unity we experience in Christ that transcends all our differences. Whether it's how we're gifted or our color or our income level or our gender or our jobs or how we school our children or how we dress or what music we listen to. All these differences in Christ, there is a unity that goes beyond all of them. And Paul is highlighting how God himself is characterized by diversity within unity. That's what we see in the Godhead. We see Paul almost unconsciously highlighting the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, a great variety of gifts and ministries characterizing each divine person. And the Corinthians, through their division, were misrepresenting the character 
of God. Chapter 11, look one page over in your Bible to chapter 11. Look at the, the second half of verse 17. Let this, I, I pray this is never said about our church. It says, when you come together, it's not for better, but for the worse. Not a good statement you want to hear. For in the first place, here's why. When you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. The Corinthians were different, but instead of the differences driving them to the unity of Christ and God, these differences were dividing them into factions instead of leading them to appreciate the creative wisdom of God and how He makes us and gifts us and brings us together. That's why I think Paul in this section is highlighting. He keeps using this word variety. There's, there's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of serving. There's a variety of activities. We're not all going to be doing the same thing. It's not a healthy church if everyone looks alike. The health of the church is the diversity we have and the unity we have in God. This is the character of God. I think sometimes we can get confused by de defining unity as uniformity. When we begin picturing what every Christian must look like. Well, if you're, if you're a, a mature Christian, you must look this way or talk this way or dress this way. Uh, even this morning as we came into our pastor's prayer meeting early in the morning, me and Walt and Bill were all dressed alike with our shirts and sweaters on. We don't do that on purpose. There was one Sunday, every pastor had like plaid shirts on, and someone came up and said, uh, just like a requirement to be a pastor here, you got to wear a plaid shirt. And we come into those meetings, we look at each other, and we're like, oh man, we look alike. This is not good. Don't defend yourself, okay? We, it's not good. And we can do that in the church. If you're a mature Christian, here's where you start. We start on the setup team, right? Because anybody can do setup. That's how we think, right? And then, you know, if you're a real mature Christian, well, you're a, you're a community group leader. Or we work our way up. We, we begin to make these categories in our mind of what it looks like to be a mature Christian. And I want to qualify this because there are ways that we are alike, okay? We are all being conformed by the Spirit to the image of Christ. We should all be similar in our love for God and others and our desire to know and study God's Word. And if our speech is biblical, we'll often say the same things because we're reciting God's Word. It's filling our hearts and coming out of our mouths. But what God delights in is when there's unity and diversity. When we have different gifting and various passions and diverse ways we're serving and diverse activities and we're, we're reaching out to different areas God has placed us in the community with the gospel that we're reaching out to our jobs in different schools and we're serving in a variety of ways Paul is trying to highlight this diversity is good this is how God designed the church this is all the work of God diversity not uniformity is essential for a healthy local church the church is to be, the way I picture this is, the church is to be like a symphony orchestra. Think about how boring an orchestra would be if it was the same instrument all playing the same thing. And what came to my mind 
was a hundred flutes all playing the exact same thing. I don't want to offend anybody who plays the flute. It's a beautiful instrument, but a hundred flutes all playing together, I wouldn't pay to see that, okay? What about a hundred cymbals? Just imagine going to the symphony orchestra and they start and they're all standing there and the conductor and simultaneously just just over and over for two hours. What makes an orchestra amazing is all these different instruments playing simultaneously different pieces. And when they all come together, every time I see an orchestra, I just have this wow moment. It starts with the violins playing together, and then the cello comes in, and the horns swell, and then the cymbals in their right place, when there's this high moment, they clash, and they all come together, and it paints this beautiful symphony. I think that's how God envisions the church. The Corinthians, he says this in chapter 13, are like clanging cymbals. That's what Paul says about them. He says, when I come to your meeting... It's like everyone's just yelling over each other and you're a bunch of symbols just clashing together and it doesn't represent the character of God. God creates different instruments, different roles. He gives us different gifts and all are necessary and must be united in creating this masterpiece. And so there's a variety of ways we serve and that's good and that's healthy. I'm reminded of a conversation I had with uh, Corey Moles recently. If you remember, uh, Corey and Julia shared their testimony one Sunday about losing their son Jax and just how God cared for them through that and, and the heartache that was. And you wouldn't be surprised to know that Corey has a heart for compassion ministry. He looks at those suffering and those struggling and his heart goes out to them because he's been there. He can empathize with them. And so he's begun to serve with our compassion team. And he was talking to me, and one of the statements he said was, he's gotten to know Bill Cahill, who's one of the leaders of our compassion team, and he says, man, I want to be Bill Cahill. And I said, that's a good man to want to be like. And if you don't know Bill's story, it, it, it illustrates this point. Because Bill, a number of years ago, used to lead a community group, and he stepped down as a community group leader, because he desired to do compassion ministry. He looked at Cornerstone Church, we were a young church, and he said, you know, I want us to grow in compassion ministry. And so he took a year, and he researched it. He visited other churches and ministries. He read scriptures. He read books. He studied. He came back to the pastoral team, and he said, I've thought about this. And he created a mission statement. He created guidelines. He said, I want to be gospel-centered. I want to see where God opens doors to preach the gospel care for those in need. And almost a decade later now, Bill's still leading the compassion team along with others. They have built this team and God has opened all these doors. He's opened doors into orphan care, into Sarah Moore Green School, caring for kids in need, opened doors into adoption grants, into prison ministry, working with CARM, the angel tree we do, working with kids of inmates and giving them presents for Christmas, and all these doors that the Lord continues to open. Listen, Bill was a fine community group leader, but God empowered him to step out and to do compassion ministry, and it's made us a healthier church because of it. And if Bill would have thought, well, I just, you know, I, I'm doing this, and I have a desire to do this, and I just stay here, we, we, would, we would be missing something as a church, I believe. It's not that one area of serving is better than another. They're both 
good works. And God empowers different people to do different works. And this should free us. This should free us to use our gifts and encourage others who are gifted differently. It frees us to not compare, but to appreciate the differences. And we together fulfill God's calling on us as a body. And so we see this unity of the Spirit in the midst of a diversity of spiritual gifts. Point number two, diverse manifestations of the Spirit. We see this in verses 7 through 10. There is diverse, there are diverse manifestations of the Spirit. Paul is saying, what does this look like? What does it look like? Having grounded his appeal for diversity in the triune God, Paul proceeds to articulate how that diversity is lived out in the life of the church. Look with me at verse 7. So we see verses 4 through 6, back and forth, varieties, 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 same God, same Lord, same Spirit. Look at verse 7. He said, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then in verses 8 through 10, if you look down at those verses, he wants them to see the diversity of gifts, and he wants them to see that they are all manifestations of God's Spirit. The Spirit manifests Himself in a multitude of ways. And so he's going to start going through this list. Look at verse 8. For you have one person who has this wisdom, it's through the Spirit. Another person has words of knowledge, it's the same Spirit. Another, faith, same Spirit. Another, gifts of healing, still one Spirit. Another, working of miracles. Another, prophecy. Another, distinguishing between spirits. Another, tongues. Another, interpretation of tongues. And then in verse 11, he says, listen, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. And we're not going to explain each one of those this morning because the emphasis isn't so much on the gift. The emphasis is on the diversity of gifts within the community, that the Spirit of God is at work all around us. Remember, he wants to expand their vision. Look around at this one and that one, each one, each person giving a manifestation of God's Spirit. Sam Storms says this. He says, Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God Himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working His sovereign and gracious purposes through us. Spiritual gifts must never be viewed deistically, as if God out there has sent some thing to us down here. Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, human love. Paul doesn't want them saying, well, what's my gift? You know, what's my gift? He wants them to look around the room to their left and their right and behind and think, wow, this room is filled with manifestations of God's Spirit. From 
the person running sound, to the greeters, to the prophecies we heard this morning, from the, the people serving in children's ministry and teaching the kids, to the deacons in the welcome center, to the ushers serving us, the worship team playing instruments, using their gifting to lead us into worship God, all manifestations of the Spirit. When you encourage each other and serve one another, help each other, organize snacks or childcare, provide leadership, bring faith to a situation, when you share an encouraging word, a prophetic word with someone, or a word of wisdom, or you pray for healing, he wants us to see the, the Spirit is working all around us. The Spirit is manifesting Himself in community groups and in our homes and every Sunday morning and at prayer nights and prayer meetings. The Spirit is at work all around us. Corinthians, open your eyes. You're misunderstanding the gifts. God is at work all around us. And I love how he calls them manifestations of the Spirit. That's what Paul calls them in verse 7. In other places, he calls them spiritual gifts. That's how he introduces this whole section in chapter 12, verse 1. But in this section, he calls them manifestations of the Spirit. I believe because he takes the emphasis off the person onto the one who gives the gifts. He's trying to tell him it's not so much about what's my gift. It's look at what the Spirit is doing in the church. It's God himself who gives us these gifts. It's so easy because of sin for the gifts to be twisted and made about us. So easy to use the gifts and be so concerned about what people think about us to use them for ourselves. The Spirit gives gifts not to promote ourselves, but to promote Him, to promote the Gospel. It's not so much about your gift as it is what God is doing by His Spirit in the church. And it's instructive to us that we do not have an exhaustive list of gifts in the New Testament. There's several places where spiritual gifts are listed out. We have our text here. Uh, later in 1 Corinthians 12, there's Romans 12. You can, you can look these up later if you want to write these down. Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. But you're not going to find a list in your Bible that has all the gifts in one place. And you also won't find one gift that's on every list. There's a diversity, a great diversity of gifts. There's a great diversity of how the Spirit manifests Himself in you to build this church and make it healthy. We see gifts of teaching, prophecy, helping, administration, healing, miracles, tongues, words of wisdom and words of knowledge, faith, discerning spirits, interpretation of tongues, evangelism, serving, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, all these Paul lists, and I don't think any one list is exhaustive, so there's more gifts the Spirit gives us. And a healthy church will have a great diversity of gifts, and this diversity should not lead to division, but unity, because they're all manifestations of the Spirit. There is no one gift that is the manifestation of the Spirit. That's what the Corinthians thought. This gift is the manifestation of the Spirit. And Paul says, no, 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 no. The Spirit is manifesting Himself all around us in all these diverse ways. He's making the church healthy. The best illustration 
of this is the very one Paul uses later on in chapter 12 when he talks about the body. He says the body is united. It is whole. And every part is necessary doing its own part. And every part is indispensable. And it's almost this humorous picture Paul paints of the body fighting against itself. There's not a lot of humor in Paul's writing always. I don't picture Paul being a guy you want to like hang out with and Paul's telling you jokes and stuff. But in this section, I think Paul is pretty funny. I think he's making a point. I don't know if you've ever done this with your kids. Uh, Hopefully you haven't. I do this. Sometimes I take my boys' hands and I grab their hands and I make them punch themselves in the face. And I say, quit hitting yourself. Quit hitting yourself. Why are you hitting yourself? And they just, I don't want to. What? No, I stop. Uh, I think it's hilarious. Uh, They may not find it hilarious, but I think it's hilarious. And Paul is painting a picture like that. he's, he's, He's showing the Corinthians, this is ridiculous. A body fighting against itself? It just looks silly. It looks foolish, you know? Nobody's going to sit there and punch themselves. And he says, you know, the foot, it's like the foot says to the hand, well, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong a part of this body. And he's kind of saying, that, that's ridiculous. Or the ear is discouraged because he's not an eye. And Paul says, well, if the whole body was eyes, how could we hear? You know, it doesn't make sense. Or some parts of the body telling other parts of the body, well, we don't need you as part of our body. No, the body is whole and every part of the body has a role to play. It has something to do. It's necessary. God makes the church, His body, every part exactly as He wants. He designs it. And Paul says, and God would say, every part is necessary. We depend on each other. The Spirit knows what the church needs, and so he manifests himself in individuals to meet those needs and serve the body. God arranges the members. God is the one who does this. So be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, how he's manifesting himself in you to serve and make the body healthy. You know, one of the joys of being a pastor is I get a front row seat into seeing the Spirit care for the church by manifesting himself in you. I get to see the gift of administration and the gift of serving and the gift of generosity, the gift of leadership, the gift of teaching. I see people rising up to the occasion because the Spirit has manifest himself in them. And what I've realized is most people are not aware of how significantly they are serving the church and what the Spirit is doing. I had so many examples go through my mind this week, just thinking about this. I was reminded of Chris Graves honoring children's ministry workers last month. And how when I asked Chris, hey, would you, Chris helps lead our children's ministry, and I asked him, would you help honor these workers? And he said, if you want me to, but I'm not very good at it. It's not something I'm good at doing. Sandbagger, you know? But, I mean, he stood up here, and he as he encouraged the children's ministry workers, he infused strength and resolve and encouragement and the importance of what they're doing when it can seem like, well, I'm just back here babysitting and nobody cares. And no, it does matter. I think Chris sharing and encouraging you was a manifestation of God's Spirit. The same day, we had pies for everyone, all the children's ministry workers. Listen, I was racking my brain for days 
trying to come up with, okay, we need some way just to say thank you for serving. And nothing we do is going to say it very well. And I was racking my brain. And Rachel Beekler, one of the assistants at the church, came in my office. My hands were like this, like on my eyes, rubbing my eyes. And she goes, what you working on? And I was like, I'm trying to think of some way to just something small to encourage them. It took her 4.2 seconds to come up with that idea. And she administrated it, bought it, set it out. And all the people coming up, I stood out there in the lobby and I watched them come up and say, sweet, you know, a pie. And, and people were like, can I serve in children's ministry, you know? Yeah, you can. And next year you'll get a pie, you know? But it just, I thought that was a manifestation of the Spirit to serve the body. I thought of premarital books Maria is putting together in the office this week. And all the couples who spend their time meeting with engaged couples to prepare them to honor God in their marriages, imparting wisdom to them. That's a manifestation of the Spirit. I think of the setup guys. The set of guys who came out on a Saturday morning to help a family with eight kids move into their house, moving from another state into Knoxville, up on a Saturday morning, carrying, unloading their truck, helping them set up their beds. And I'm sure they're thinking, there's nothing spiritual about this. Anybody can carry a box, right? Listen, college student waking up on a Saturday morning early, to serve others is a manifestation of the Spirit. That is not natural, okay? That is super natural. Sunday morning they do it. They get up. High school students, college students, 6.30 in the morning, 7 o'clock, they're here setting up chairs. That's supernatural. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. Paul says, open your eyes, Corinthians. Spirits at work all around us. I often get this question, are gifts natural or supernatural? To which I reply, yes. It's both. God is sovereignly, ultimately creating us for His glory. And I believe He can empower both our natural gifts that we've used in the past for our own glory, and He can supernaturally empower us in things like prophetic words and words of wisdom giving us wisdom beyond our years, beyond our knowledge, helping us to care for the church and serve one another. In the end, God is creator of both. That's why Paul can put prophecy and tongues in the same list with administration and serving. Because he says it's all God's gift. It's God at work among you. I think about Mia Slager. If you know Mia, she is very administrative. It is scary, actually. She has a spreadsheet on her computer with all her DVDs she owns at her home. And she has them with all kinds of ways to categorize them by uh, theme, actors, mood. So she goes to her computer. What do we want to watch tonight? Well, I want a comedy, uh, something with Tom Hanks that has some you know, emotionally charged moments. And the computer spits out of her spreadsheet, oh, Toy Story 3. Oh, there's our movie for tonight, you know? <laughs> this is great. Mia's, Mia's administrative. But Mia also spends her time organizing our children's ministry schedule. I love a good spreadsheet. I really do. I appreciate spreadsheets. But when she sent the one over she created, it was a manifestation of the Spirit. 
I mean, it's 200 plus volunteers spread over 11 classrooms, over a four-month schedule with each class having different requirements for how many adults, how many teenagers, different policies and requests. All these people saying, well, I want to serve with my spouse. I want to serve here. I can't serve here. Organizing all of this, color coding it with all these different categories. If you're new to the schedule, new to a position, new to a class, but the same team, new to a class, a new team, and the same class, but a new team, older team middle teen, younger teen, all color-coded on the spreadsheet, that's the Holy Spirit at work, all right? It's a manifestation of the Spirit. It's a natural ability supernaturally used to serve our church because naturally we would not use that to serve others. We would use that to serve ourselves. We wouldn't spend our time creating that to serve the church of Christ, but that's what she did. God both creates and recreates us to serve others for His glory. And this is the goal of spiritual gifts. Verse 7. Look back at verse 7. Four. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Why? Why does He do this? For the common good. It builds the church. It makes the church healthy. It serves and benefits others. God has empowered you with spiritual gifts for the health of this church to carry our our mission. We exist to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel. And spiritual gifts are given to equip us to worship God, to love and serve one another, that we might grow in the gospel and to proclaim the gospel locally and beyond. They're not used to advance ourselves. They're not used for self-promotion. They're not used so that we look great, but so that He looks great. So we're a bright light shining, a city on a hill. Diversity of gifts, but a unity of the Spirit. And I think God shows His greatness by surprising us at times. That's what he says earlier in Corinthians. He uses the foolish and he makes them wise. He uses the weak and he empowers them. Why? So that no human being might boast. God gets all the glory. Listen to David Pryor. He says, To be truly spiritual drives a person neither to ecstasy nor to individualism nor to otherworldliness but into the life of the local church as an expression of his personal commitment to Jesus as Lord and to his body here on earth. God is building his church. The Spirit is manifesting himself in you to build this church. And, he, and, and it changes. He, he knows, the Spirit knows what the church needs before we do. And so he's manifesting himself in different people to meet those needs. I think about our desire to plant churches. And I think, you know, when we plant churches, we send out people who are very gifted, who are serving in significant ways. And you know what God does? He manifests himself to meet the needs of this church. And people who get sent out, I think he fills them with his spirit and he manifests himself in them to serve in new ways, to make that church a healthy church. God is building his church. The Spirit is manifesting Himself in us to serve others, to make the church healthy. So let's finish with just a few practical ways. How can we get started? How do we do this? Three brief points of application. Number one, 
Pursue spiritual gifts. If you want to see your church healthy and strong, pray for God to manifest Himself in you and in others. 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul tells them, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Okay, this is a church that's seriously misusing the gifts. What does he say? Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but strive, he says in, in, in chapter 14, verse 12, but strive to build the church with them. Pursue spiritual gifts. Ask the Lord to fill you, to equip you, to empower you in ways you're already serving. Give me faith. Give me passion. Give me zeal for this area to do it with excellence. Pursue spiritual gifts. Number two, look for needs. Look for needs around the body. Often when we see a need, God empowers us to meet it, to help, and to serve. So if you see somebody, and I love how Sam Storms talks about this in his book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. He's very practical. He says, if you want to learn what your spiritual gift is, don't take a spiritual gifts analysis. He says, next time you're in a small group meeting, look around the room. Is somebody hurting? Is somebody suffering? Is somebody sick? He says, take your hands out of your pockets, lay your hands on them, and pray that God would heal them. Is someone struggling financially? Take your last $50 and give it to them in faith that God's going to provide for all your needs. Is someone struggling with sin? Sit down and meet with them and and pray with them. And he says, pause for a moment and ask God, is there anything that you can help me with to encourage this person? God may give you a prophetic word. He might give you a scripture to share with them. God can do that. He says, is anyone overwhelmed by the clutter in their garage and that ever-increasing mountain of dirty laundry? Offer to spend Saturday with them, helping out, picking up, washing, drying, folding, and putting away clothes. And then he says this, if we spend less time searching to identify our spiritual gift or gifts and more time actually praying and giving and helping and teaching and serving and exhorting those around us, the likelihood greatly increases that we will walk headlong into our gifting without ever knowing what happened. God will more likely meet us with his gifts in the midst of trying to help his children than he ever would while we're taking a spiritual gifts analysis. Look for needs around you and ask for God to give you the gift and the the energy to help meet those needs. And finally, continue to serve. Start serving. If you're not serving, begin serving. If you are serving, continue to serve. That's why we're doing this ministry team. We're doing all these ministry teams in the lobby this morning so you can be informed. Here's ways The church is trying to serve both those in the congregation and those outside. We have outreach teams and greeting teams. We have compassion teams. We have teams. We have cleaning teams that serve. We have facilities teams. Learn about those teams and start serving and you will see God empower you by his spirit to meet the needs of the body. Finally, verse 11. Listen, all of this, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. In the final analysis, absolutely everything, gifts, people, church, owes its origin to the one God who works all things for the good of His people. God 
apportions to each one as he wills, as he pleases, as he sees fit, from beginning to end, from the smallest detail to the broad scope of church life. God is controlling and working His will. And so let's pray in faith that God who knows us and knows what we need and how we need to grow is going to manifest Himself in you. He's going to empower you with spiritual gifts to build this church. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit this morning. Fill this church. Manifest Yourself as You have been all morning long. We look around the room this morning and we are aware the Spirit has manifested Himself in us. And I pray that You would manifest Yourself in new ways in individuals here this morning. I, find, I pray that they would find ways to serve this morning, ways that encourage them, ways that serve us and make us a healthy church. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, come, empower us, fill us, encourage us, work your will through us, refine us, make us holy. I pray that the gifts you've given us, we would use for your glory to build your church. Cleanse us from any thought of promoting ourselves through these gifts, but let it be for your glory, God, to advance your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Mike Pluniak given during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.